0: Related, an advice podcast for all of your questions about relationships, careers, and life.
1: I'm Hannah Strom. And I'm Samantha Strom, and we are actually identical twins. I'm a
0: therapist, and I specialize in sex and relationships.
1: And I'm a career and leadership coach. You've written in with your
0: questions, and we're here to share our professional insights and tell you that we've been there too.
1: All right, let's do this. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Closely Related, and this is our second one on Gen Z. Woot woot <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Gotta work on our call response here. <laughs> Samantha before is her recording but episode that I'm, like, really tired.
1: She always is. I mean, granted, it's 7.21 p.m. for you on a Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but this time I was like, this time I'm really tired. Like, i mean at this time. She's like, the, the boy who cried wolf. I'm just like, whatever. Like, we just got to keep pushing through. <laughs> i feel like that wound
0: is like (laughs) emblematic of my state and i am excited but it's just like i don't know man like you live your life like you have your sessions i just cooked my meal kit which by the way i'm very proud of it was very delicious i didn't do my dishes and now i'm like i've been striving all day um so yeah i am a bit tie tie as the kids say
1: hmm do the kids say that or is that just you? No kids say that, for sure. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Any Gen Z listeners out there, please let me know if I'm cool. Yeah.
1: That's why really why we decided to do this podcast. Um. Anyway, so for those of you who haven't listened to the last episode, I would suggest doing that because we're going to keep talking about some of the same things themes, which were basically that it's hard to be a young person in the workplace. We've experienced it. We know we're not alone. We hope we're not alone. And it's also then hard to manage people fresh out of school as well. And what of that is just like a factor of being young at work and what's maybe new to Gen Z compared to millennials, compared to Gen X and boomers. And then also, what's maybe just an individual. So, that's kind yeah. of what... And, and organizational. So, we threw that one in there at the end.
0: True. And we also want to say, it's not always hard. But it, th- it sometimes is, and the letter writer was talking about that. So, I think I... Every... Yeah. As we said, lots of individual differences. And, like, some people fucking crush when they come into the workplace at age, you know, teens to early 20s. So no shade to anybody in that demographic is just sometimes can be a tough transition.
1: Yeah. And it's been interesting talking to people for the last few days about last, the last episode, because I think we've gotten maybe more mixed responses than other ones. Not of people hating the episode, hopefully, but more (laughs) just like people being like, Oh, I'm team Gen Z or like, I'm kind of team, you know, older generation, shall we say. Like, I know I've gotten some people who are like, you know, I listened to your podcast and it did make me think, but like, Jesus Christ, it's so frustrating when young people are lazy at work. Like, uh, it drives me nuts and it's something I think about all the time. And then I've also talked to some people in Gen Z who, like, one friend was saying, yeah, I mean, I have a master's degree. She's 25. She's like, I applied for a coordinator role that pays about $40,000 a year. And a hundred people applied for that job, including people with their PhDs. And it's just scary. Like, it's scary how many people, how competitive it is for jobs that maybe don't pay a ton, and how much, how educated you need to be to even get your foot in the door in some of those organizations. So, I think. This I feel like this definitely hit on something that's in the culture and the workplace right now.
0: Yeah, and I also had a friend, other friends, just be like, the culture of having to just work like really long hours is not healthy, and it's not good for our mental health, and
1: so fight the man. (laughs) Yeah, and then people who are the man who are like, man, I need people to freaking work. So I do get that as well. So we know that... We do not necessarily have an answer to, you know, what side is right, but more just want to keep exploring the different themes within this larger conversation. Is the answer to just get really involved in uh, crypto? Man, that crypto is just (laughs) like so above (laughs) my head. I'm just like, I'm like, cold, hard cash (laughs) for life. (laughs) Um, yeah, <laughs> what does crypto have to do
0: with this conversation? I don't know. I just keep seeing people on
1: dating apps be like, I'm retired from crypto. <laughs> Dang. It's like, man, it's like you can be an entrepreneur. you can just like get lucky on cryptocurrency, I guess. Like some the economy is weird now. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, um so I think last time we said we were going to read two letters and we lied because we're just going to read one. Um <laughs> sorry, but we have one that we want to just dive a bit more into and then maybe, you know, who knows, maybe we'll even end within an hour this time. We'll see. Um ready? Ready handsos? Ready. Okay. Woo! I can see merch in our future. It's in very small print. Okay, I'm reading the letter. I hired and onboarded someone who's in her mid-twenties in August, so COVID times were real. Prior to her coming on, I created an extensive onboarding guide and blocked out a lot of time in my calendar to ensure I would be accessible to her when she started. Our team is extremely collaborative and we've thrived in working hard together. There are often late nights and bonding. I knew that time would be shorter and different, so I worked hard to get her up to speed quickly and give her ownership while not feeding her to the wolves. Initially, she thrived. She took on projects, proposed good ideas, Ask thoughtful questions and seem to be getting along well with the team. As early December rolled around, however, I started to notice an accumulation of small mistakes and slip ups. At first, they seemed like odd little quirks, but as I write this in late January, they are still happening. It seems that every Slack, email, or written communication has a typo or requires extensive edits. Questions that should be easily answerable keep surfacing. And during meetings, she often looks confused and doubtful. We have a close relationship, so I'm struggling with how to confront her in a way that will demonstrate how significant this is becoming, how much trust I am losing, and how much time I am spending reviewing and rewriting her work. She seems unaware of her behavior and how it is affecting myself and her perception to her teammates. I know she is receptive to feedback, but I'm not sure how to best give it to empower her and support her and paying more attention to detail and understanding how she is losing trust with those around her. Thank you for your advice. Do you have initial thoughts, Hannah? Yeah, so I think that that some
0: feedback and a, a good conversation I think could really help her understand more of what you're looking for and you to be doing less of this work and feeling less of the stress of that. I think these are all errors that are seem correctable. Like they don't seem fundamental in my mind, especially because it seemed like she started off really strong. I think that sometimes typo-type things can happen because maybe someone doesn't know the level of expectation of what's expected. Um, and maybe you outline this at onboarding, but like, especially with something like Slack, it's like, oh, is this a casual thing where we're kind of texting in a casual way or inter-office emails? Like how professional do we need to be? Um, and I know when I do communications, I would usually get a few different rounds of edits for people. And I definitely didn't hardcore proofread my stuff because I I would like read it through once but like I'd be like well somebody else is gonna catch it and then we're gonna change it again so I didn't make like every draft extremely perfect which may which probably was on me but I think if she knows like you're supposed to be doing a better job proofreading all this stuff then she could really step up in that way
1: I don't know. I think I feel kind of differently because I think I can imagine how this manager, how suddenly these small accumulations feel like it's her employee's mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about, like, not proofreading one document. It's like, okay, if this kind of small mistake is happening everywhere, does she not care about the job? Like, is she not competent? Like, what is wrong? And I, I think I coach a lot of people who have direct reports like this. And the the issue is they don't even know where to start, right? They're mm-hmm. like, there's so many mistakes. They're all so small. How do you tell somebody this is accumulated to become actually a really big deal? But also not just like dump it all on them at once, like, Mm -hmm. and be, I think people are afraid of coming across like a micromanager or coming across like they've been, you know, looking at every email really intensely and been like, had a, you know, a folder of 50 of them that they're like, here's every mistake you ever made. And the person's like, whoa, like, where did this come from? Right. So I, I think it's pretty challenging of like how to address this as a manager.
0: Mm, Wow, this is our, this is a first big, uh, you know, different sides reading the same letter for us.
1: Hannah's basically a Gen Z and I'm like a Gen X, basically, because I'm (laughs) 19 minutes older, actually, so it's basically a generation or two (laughs) worth of time. Um, Wow, well that... You know, that's one approach. I
0: was kind of thinking maybe (laughs) this is more like the therapist v. Coach match off of Mm -hmm. like, I think I'm also like slightly out of the professional world. And that's probably skewing my perspective. But I'm I'm kind of like, who gives a shit about a typo? You know what I mean? Like, I (laughs) just feel like I'm like, do we all must we all be perfect all the time? Like, can't we? make a mistake and learn and try again. Like, I think that's where I'm coming from of like,
1: I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, I, I get that. But I just think there's a really big, you, I don't know. Like, I feel like I can tell in the workplace when there's somebody who's like, usually really on top of it, really crushing it. And then like once a week, they make a small mistake and you can forgive that, right? You're like, oh, cool. That's fine. Ha ha. Right. But when it becomes like almost everything has one-to-many mistakes. And it's not just the mistakes, right? She's talking about, like, she's lacking confidence. Like, she's not really speaking up. She's looking doubtful. You start to be, like, is this person contributing and contributing to their full ability? And, like, in some ways, doubting, like, why did we hire this person, right? Like, Mm -hmm. are they adding the value that we want them to? Or are they just, like, making my life literally harder because I have to do so much managing of them to get anything accomplished.
0: Mm, Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. And I think that's a good point. I think, once again, like my first instinct. And again, I think, I think this is the thinking about it from my perspective, but like, I'm like, okay, so she started doing this from like December to January. I'm like, it's COVID winter. Like maybe she's feeling really sad. Maybe she's feeling, um, you know, maybe there's an issue where she's not able to visit her family or like someone died or someone lost a business. Like I I feel like that's just my first instinct of like what could be going on in her personal life. That's maybe affecting her performance a bit. So almost starting a conversation with like, what's been going on with you because I mean, there's a lot of things that could be going on right now.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that, that that could be an approach for sure. I mean, definitely like COVID winter is real. And the other thing, it I would say I usually, just anecdotally, I feel like people either start off strong and keep going strong or they start off not so well and continue. I don't usually, I think it's a bit more unusual to have somebody start off really strong and who's participating, who's saying ideas, and then suddenly like that's gone within a few months. And so mm-hmm. I th- my advice to the manager would be to come in with a lot of curiosity, like true curiosity of like, how's it been going for you since you started? What's been some of the challenges that you've had? What do you feel like are some of your strengths? Um, and it's nice to have a place to start with too of like, you know, you were – participating more when you started, and you had suggestions when you started, and I've noticed you haven't been doing that as much recently. And actually, that was really good. I really appreciated that. So like, A, have you noticed that that's... Do you agree with that trend? And B, what's been going on to cause that?
0: Yeah. I would think that
1: sounds like a really good way to start a combo. I think another thing that would make me want to just like come in with curiosity and asking questions is when you say she's looking doubtful and lacking confidence, it'd be interesting if there was something that's causing her to lack confidence, right? Is it something that somebody said, right? Or is it she knows she's messing up? I don't know. I would think I would like try to get to the bottom of that as well and be like, you know, how how confident are you feeling in your role right now and your responsibilities? That would be something I'd want to ask questions about as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely possible that something is going on to make her not confident. And I feel like if she was, a re- yeah, like Sam earlier said, if she's originally speaking up, then you know she has that ability. So if something knocked her confidence, I feel like she could get it back for sure.
1: Yeah. But I think part of this is how we talked about like organizational structure last time. And I think this one, we're going to talk more about management style and ways you can manage to A, give feedback, but B, also empower people in these kind of situations. Um, and I think that these are tr- these are kind of universally true, but they also might be even more true for young professionals or Gen Z. I do want to say overall that I mean, it seems like this letter writer is did her best and to start to set this person up for success. And we had talked about last time how a lot of people don't invest in training, and that's a big problem. And it seems like they did a really good job of, like, they had this onboarding guide. They blocked out a lot of time in their calendar. Um, I think that's really awesome that they did that. And I would imagine sometimes maybe it's even more frustrating if your direct report isn't thriving after you're like, I put in all this work. Like, what else do you want me to do?
0: Yeah, no, this this manager does sound like a pretty bomb-ass manager.
1: So totally. This manager, I think, has done a really good job. I think that there are a few things she could think about a bit differently if she wanted to. And maybe they fit, maybe they don't, but I'm just going to go through a couple of things I thought of that perhaps she could think about. So the letter writer says, and how much time I am spending reviewing and rewriting her work. So that says to me that the manager is taking on the work of fixing this person's problems and mistakes, right? Which, A, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's like, oh, this person had some typos. I'll fix it, right? It's kind of a natural response. But as somebody's manager, that can really start to pile up, right? Because you have all of your work. You're probably meeting with them. You're probably doing other things as their manager. And then you're finishing their work. And maybe that's somewhat doable if you have one direct report. But if you get and you're doing that for everyone, that's when the manager becomes super overworked and it can also lead to the manager having a bottleneck, right? So it's like everybody, all the direct reports are waiting on the manager to approve everything, right? Before they get it back. So it's like the direct reports don't have a ton of work because they're waiting for approval and the manager has way too much work. It can also lead to people feeling micromanaged, right? Everything I do, my boss... Has to approve. And on the maybe the flip side of that is they know that, right? Even like you were saying, Hannah, of like, you knew that someone else was going to proofread your stuff so you didn't have to do it. And so then people can almost get in the habit of being a bit lazy, right? Of like, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. They're just going to change it or they're just going to fix it. So I'll just kind of half ass it, right? Which is then just perpetuates this cycle.
0: Yeah, I think that's very true. And I do think whenever I'm micromanaged, I absolutely try less. So,
1: fair point. Yeah. So, one theory that I think is really helpful here is it's a Harvard Business Review article called Who's Got the Monkey? And it's written by two authors, and hopefully I say this right, but I might not, is William Onkin and Donald Wass. And the basic theory is that they think of everybody in an organization has tasks that they're responsible for or projects they're working on. And if you think of those as monkeys on somebody's back, everyone starts out with maybe like 20 monkeys. But what often happens in offices is people go to their manager and kind of see them as a way to offload their monkeys, right? So. When they have a problem, they go to their manager and hope that their manager is going to fix it. So an example would be when I worked in higher ed, one of my absolute least favorite things was getting angry calls from parents. Like, you know, I just made me want to cry and run and hide in shame. And I, one thing I could have done or probably sometimes did is go to my boss and say, like, I have this angry parent. What should I do? And if my manager said, oh, I'll call him back. What's their number? Don't worry about it. I've successfully offloaded my monkey, right? And now it's my manager's problem. And I'm like, "Whoo! so glad I'm off the hook. Like, woohoo, right? So it makes my life easier, but it makes my manager's life harder. So using the the monkey metaphor to talk about this example, right, this person is saying my direct report is sending me Emails are, let's say, a report that needs revision and review. So instead of the manager re- doing the revision themselves, they could say, Hey, thanks for doing this draft. It looks, it's a good start, but there are some typos in it. So I need you to go back and do another round or two of edits until there's absolutely no typos. Um, the letter writer also talks about how questions that are easily answerable keep surfacing. And I think, I think that that's actually quite similar to all of this, where you don't want to take the monkey, right? So don't find the answer for them, but push it back onto them of like, that's a good question. How could you figure that out? Or that's a good question. Could you do some research on that and get back to me? So it is not your job to answer every question. It's to help them figure out how to answer the question themselves.
0: Yeah, I think once again, I could easily see myself On the other side of that, just not knowing what the expectations are. Like, I think sometimes I've seen managers as just like slot machines of information where I'm like, well, I guess something more consistent than a slot machine where I'm just like,
1: you have the answer, like press button, like get answer. And I think that goes a bit back to what we said in episode one of like teachers and the expectation that students have of their teachers. And a lot of time it is that teachers have the answer, right? And so you ask and they tell you, and this is kind of a different relation. It's a similar but different relationship where the manager might not have the answer and or they might not have time to find or give you the answer, right? And in some ways they're paying you to find as many answers to things as possible, So it's almost back to our first ever episode of like, if you're a new employee, how can you do most of the work yourself um, before asking for help?
0: I think one thing as you're outlining this is like, this definitely all makes sense, but I think, you know, giving feedback is so hard and even setting a boundary is so hard because sometimes it can feel like you're not doing well, or even like, I, I imagine if I was in a, a new job, and I like came and I asked someone a question, and they were like, actually, this is something i like you to figure out yourself, I would be like, they hate me. Why am I not good enough? Like, I'm so confused. Like, I, I mean, again, I have an anxious attachment style, and that can manifest in the workplace. So just for me, like, even if someone was like, you have to edit this yourself, and like, whatever, which I totally makes sense with the monkeys, but I would have been like, Eh, like I, I would have struggled receiving some of that feedback Um, just to be honest. So one thing potentially is like before you have this big talk, even just being like, I think you're so great. I really think you're awesome. I want to maybe do something slightly differently with like how we do work. And, and I want to do this because I want to help you figure out some things in the workplace. And like maybe have a different differentiation between what I think is your responsibility or my responsibility. So I'm just going to outline, I think checking for typos is your responsibility. So I'm just going to like, keep reminding you of this from now on, or I think this thing is your responsibility, or I think this thing is my responsibility. And almost having like an outline where that's clarified and then being like, and you're really, you know, kind of like compliment sandwich being like, I think you're so great. I really like working with you. Here's how I want to do things differently. Then again, like, I think you're so great. I really value you. Do you have any feedback on like what I just said?
1: Yeah, I like a lot of what you said, but I will just say that the Oreo feedback is called the shit sandwich. No, Oreos are delicious. <laughs> I might avoid the, like, obvious, like, good, bad, good, because I think that people can see through it, and they're like, ugh, now I don't believe in the good. But a couple of things in what you said that I do definitely agree with. One is the anxiety. I think that is the generational, right? We talked about that Gen Z is at least more open about anxiety and stress and mental health. Then I think, once again, maybe, like, Gen X, boomers, is was, like, mounting it up, keep it locked down, versus, like... Gen Z might be openly upset, like our millennials, like, oh, I can't believe you gave me this feedback. This sucks. And I think that that's something that maybe older managers do hate in young people, right? Like, you want to, you say you want to improve and succeed, but then I give you feedback on how to improve and succeed and you whine about it. Wow, these entitled little special snowflakes who thinks that everyone deserves a trophy just for showing up to work, right? I think that's part of where that comes from. Which I can't understand, but you know what? You were the ones who gave us participation trophies in the first place. You got us addicted to positive feedback, and now you expect me to behave differently. So what did you expect, okay? <laughs> Anywho, I think something else smart you said, though, is like coming in and saying, like, I want to clarify our roles and just make sure we're on the same page is actually quite a good place to start because I think if you go in with judgment, like you're not doing as hot as I wanted you to, right? That's like can immediately put some on the defensive versus just being like, hmm, maybe I wasn't clear. Let's just clarify that from the start. Like, okay, so back to me teaching, like this is an example of this. My first class, none of the students did citations. And I put in the syllabus, like, you have to cite and use MLA format, but nobody did it. And my initial reaction was like, what the heck? You know, like, this is an essential part of writing. We're in college. I cannot believe that people do not know citations. What is wrong? People are lazy, blah, blah, blah. Right? then I was like, hmm, if almost every student is doing it, let me check this out. So I went to class and I said, you know, people seem to be struggling with citations, How much do you know about citations? And they were like, "Uh, yeah, I think I learned about it in one English class, and I don't remember because that was years ago. And no other teacher asked me to do citations, which, first of all, is a bad thing about our education system. That is not great. But second of all, it's like, okay, I need to teach how to do citations. I don't need to come in and judge everybody and punish everyone and fail everyone for not doing them. I need to just truly teach it. And then I need to set the, set the expectation and grade on it. Um, so I think just coming in and like clarifying rules, boundaries, expectations is a really good idea. Okay. So
0: yay. Thank you for thinking that was a good idea. But back to the shit sandwich. Um <laughs> So if you don't do that, which by the way, I definitely feel like I didn't realize that, that was a thing you shouldn't tell people to do because I use that in my daily life. So, anyways, aside from my own personal crisis, um, <laughs> what should you do instead to still convey like warmth and you know fondness or whatever?
1: Okay. Good question for sure. One of my favorite models about how to give feedback is called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. It's really good. I just think it kind of takes out some of the BS of it all and just is about telling it like it is. So it's basically like what I say to you, Hannah, about this podcast. Just like when I, if I were to say to you, "Hey, let's cut this sentence because it didn't really make sense," right? And you're like, oh, "Okay, I'll redo it in this podcast," right? Versus like, Hannah, you're doing so great in this podcast. You're so funny, <laughs> and amazing, but sometimes, sometimes you get into lecture mode and it's bad. But you're doing so great, and I'm so glad we're doing this <laughs> podcast yeah, together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you feel the difference? I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> right.
0: The people who were saying don't use a
1: fake voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, true. All right. So that's the basic premise. Um let me dive a bit deeper into what the radical candor model cuz I think it's really awesome. So her model, if you think of um think of a four box model or a matrix where there's two lines. Um so the vertical line is care personally. So that's the part that you were saying, Hannah, like how do you show that you're not a jerk and be nice? When you give feedback, right? So there's someone who's not being nice about it and someone who's being nice. And then on the horizontal axis, it's challenged directly. So there's the difference between being direct and clear and indirect. So it's then there's a four boxes, which I think if you hear the other four, then it's helpful to think about the right one, right? So what a lot of people do is called ruinous empathy, right? Where you're being indirect, but being really nice. And I think this is where a lot of people fall in the workplace because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. They're worried the other person might be upset. They might feel a bit awkward potentially being mean. So when somebody gives them a PowerPoint full of typos, they're like, oh, this looks good. Thanks. And why it can be ruinous is if you're somebody's manager and say you've been saying... You're doing good. Yep. It's all good. Or you just haven't been saying anything. And then it comes time for a performance review or a promotion. And the person thinks they've been doing an awesome job. And then you're like, "Mm," you haven't been doing well. Like you finally tell them the truth or they don't get the promotion. And then they're like, what? I thought I was doing fine. And you're like, no. Right. It's really hard to kind of, when the moment of truth hits where you do have to be truthful, it's hard because people are like, I can't believe you didn't say anything, right? If I ha- if I wasn't doing well, I'm upset that you haven't told me that before. hmm yeah, that's super valid. Yeah. So then on the side of being indirect and then not caring, it's called manipulative insincerity. So this is like when you see a friend from high school that you hate and they hate you and you like run into them in the grocery store and then you're like, oh, we should totally catch up sometime. And you're like, ha ha, me too. And you leave and you're like, Heck no, I'm never gonna talk to her again. Like that's manipulative insincerity, right? Is there no that makes so much sense, but is there a way to do that at work with feedback? I think like a work example would be the like per my last email. (laughs) You know, it's coming across a little bit indirect and it's also coming across a bit rude, which is not a combination that you want. Um, and people are like, ugh, passive aggressive, right? That's what mm-hmm. we're thinking here. And then being the quadrant that's challenged directly, but without care personally is obnoxious aggression, right? So this is just people who are a jerk. So this is just like, you know, this PowerPoint is a load of crap, right? And you're like, wow, okay, this guy's intense, right? So it just comes across as mean. mm mm-hmm. So then drumroll, what are you supposed to do is radical candor, right? So it's having that showing that you care personally while also being direct. So it's saying, this PowerPoint is a good start, but I do see some typos in it. Or I give people feedback all the time on like their resume and their LinkedIn, right? So I'll just be like, "This LinkedIn photo, you know, is not professional enough." And I'll I'll sometimes even say, like, I know that you are a super nice, friendly person, but you're not smiling in this photo, which means I can't see it, right? You look super serious. Like, so I think you should take one where you have, like, a full set of teeth. So I'm not like, oh, this LinkedIn photo is trash and you'll (laughs) never get hired, right? (laughs) And I'm also not like, oh, it looks fine. I can feel sometimes the temptation to... I know I can fall in that ruinous empathy camp of like, it's fine. It's like, oh, I've already given them seven pieces of feedback on their other parts of their LinkedIn profile. Like, I'll just leave this one. But most people want the feedback. They're like, I'm paying you to help me be better, right? So you have to just be as honest as possible.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really accurate. And I feel like as a therapist, I can fall into that whatever like radical candor space because again, I'm like, okay, you're paying me to tell you things. But I think in other areas of my life, like we talked about the feedback episode, I do, I think fall into ruinous empathy because then I feel like you're not paying me to tell you things. So I'll just keep them to myself. Um, yeah I have a much harder time for feedback when I, there's almost not this like outlet for it. But I do think then maybe for managers is reframing like, this is my job, not, and, and even employees knowing like, okay, this is part of their job is to give me this feedback.
1: Yeah. I think that's exactly it, right? Like when you become a manager, it is now your responsibility to give this feedback. And part of what I suggest to any manager is build time for feedback into your regular schedule and actually build time for two-way feedback, right? So let's say you have a weekly one-on-one. In the first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes, say like, this is time for me to give you feedback and you to give me feedback and open up the question of like, what's been going well from you? What have I been doing well as a manager? What else could I do as a manager? And then same for you, what I think you've been doing well, what else you can do well. Because a few things. One, that helps it not build up to the point where you're exploding either in like a one-off or in a performance evaluation every year. So it keeps it from building, which is nice. Two is a lot of people feel very uncomfortable giving feedback and they're scared to do it. So then it's like, you're creating a safe space to do it. Of like, I want feedback. I'm going to ask a question that's going to open it up. So it's not saying I'm really open for feedback. Give me feedback anytime. Right. (laughs) I hear a lot of people say that, but they're not actually asking for feedback in that moment, nor in any other moment. Right. So then that puts the burden on the other person to like raise their hand and be like, is this a good time for me to say that I'm kind of frustrated about this thing? Right. Which is a, that's a hard thing to do, so building time for it either in one on ones and or group meetings is a really good idea. No, I do think that's a really good idea, and I think
0: another thing is that it gives you almost like an opportunity for practice. Like I think one thing that's really, really scary for me about receiving feedback, especially you know, kind of like take me out of the therapy context and put me in my regular life, is like I don't receive it that often, so then when I do, it's like, yeah, like I'm gonna die. Like it just feels like so scary and and panicky, and like you don't think I'm perfect, like no. And then I think almost if you have it in this more routine way, it could even become like desensitized to be like, this is our feedback time. Okay, I didn't do this thing, but it doesn't mean that like you hate me or you're gonna
1: fire me or whatever. Yeah. I think two things. I think that's a really good point. I think even if you say you listen to this podcast and you want to share this with somebody, and or you just want to read the book or there's TED Talks on this model, and I'll link it to the website, and you want to show your team or your direct report this model and be like, where do we fall here? And then you can just point to it and be like, you know what? I'm going to try to be here. Like, I think I was just here. And just... You can use the model as a reference of common language, which is really helpful. But I think the second thing is what you just hit on is actually, I think, very true of millennials and Gen Z, right? We kind of joked about the special snowflakes and everyone gets a trophy mentality. But I do think that one part of that is that there's a lot of younger people who haven't gotten a lot of negative feedback ever in their life. So then it feels, Extremely painful when they do get it. Um, And I'm speaking from personal experience over here. But if you're somebody who is used to getting A's or you're used to just doing well, then it's kind of shocking when all of a sudden you are getting this feedback and you're not doing well. And like we said, there's a lot of new rules to learn for a professional in the workplace. And then it's like, Oh crap, I didn't know I was so bad at so many things. And it can, people sometimes don't always have the resilience or mindset to deal with that effectively without being defensive or bitter or depressed or something that's a bit less productive.
0: Yeah, I think that's very true. Also, you know, might definitely be that generational thing, but I do think it can happen for people of all ages. I think it just depends on how much are you. How much is your default like perfectionistic thinking and all or nothing thinking, which are kind of similar? But and I absolutely can do both of these things, but it's that if I'm not perfect, then I'm bad, kind of like the that stupid Will Ferrell movie that's like, if you're not first, you're last. Like, I know it's so real. Talladega nights, yeah, that's what I thought, but I was like, oh, I'm not 100% sure. Let me just like hedge by saying Will Ferrell. Yeah. So that all or nothing thinking is like, if I do one thing wrong, then I'm like not a good employee. And I think a lot of people who might have like anxiety or depression, or just like a strong inner critic will can feel that way. And including me. And so, again, it's, it's almost like exposure therapy. Like when someone's like afraid of a spider, it's like, you think about a spider and then you like have a fake spider and then you look at a spider and then you hold a
1: spider, right? Like you get clipped. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, thank you. I will have my arachnophobia for the rest of my life. Do not make me hold a spider. Get out of here. No, no. that's very true. I also
0: am never going to hold a spider, but I think for fears that are maybe a little bit more relevant to everyday life, like say a fear of flying um, or a (laughs) fear of feedback, um, it's, like, exposing yourself to it and being, like, okay, I'm, I'm not gonna die, like, I'm, I'm okay, I'm not gonna lose my job, or I'm not gonna never have any friends again, and, like, be cast aside from society, which I think is, like, literally what it can feel like if you get anything negative, similar to what we talked about in the feedback episode, it feels like you're, like, being cast out from the group like this, really a real threat.
1: yeah and I think then just part of it what you want to do as a manager, especially with an employee who's new to the workplace, is like just is saying all this and saying like feedback is a really important part of growth. It's an important part of how I want to be as a manager and our culture here and it's it does not mean that you have messed up and you're about to be fired like it is about growth. And so setting that expectation up front, I think, is a very good idea. And I think meaning it, too, right? Like, that's part of, like, giving feedback as soon as possible, as soon as a mistake or two has happened, is better than, like, letting it build up, maybe to the point that this letter writer is at, and then, like, you know, throwing it all down at once, right? Because then it is, like, you're about to be fired, and that is that can feel personal. It can feel scary and upsetting. So it's like, how do you do it incrementally so it doesn't build up and get to this point? One other part of this is that the letter writer says that they have a close relationship with their direct report. And I think that's tough. I think we don't know the age of the letter writer, but especially if they're like a similar age, I think this can be even more common where you're kind of towing that boundary between friends and boss and manager. So I think something to consider is what's the outcome that you want for this employee? And what do you think their outcome is that they want from this job? And so sometimes I think this is for people who maybe tend to fall in that ruinous empathy category. You can go around thinking my goal is to make everybody happy. My goal is to avoid conflict. But actually, your goal is to achieve your objective of your team of, or of your organization. And your employee might have a similar one. And or you, know, you might have your side goals of like getting promoted or getting a different job one day, right? But all of those hedge on you doing a good job in your job now. And I think it's helpful to just think about how often are you maybe unconsciously having what you say when you say it be driven by a desire for harmony and everyone to get along versus a desire to get things done. Yeah, this makes me think about parenting styles a bit because one issue
0: that a lot of parents get into is being overly permissive, which I think is a little bit of a course correct from being overly strict. Where you are really harsh or there's a lot of punishment or saying things like, you know, boys don't cry um, all the time just to – that can lead kids of that generation to then want to not do that. So then sometimes there's a little bit of overly permissiveness where it's hard to draw any kind of boundary like saying no to your kid can then become really harder or doing something that might make your kid upset but is necessary becomes really hard because it's really hard to see your kid upset especially if it reminds you of what happened for you as a kid if you were neglected or not treated with enough care because you don't want to do that to your kid understandably so then that mix is similar to what you were talking about. The workplace is a balance of like having empathy, but then also having boundaries. So sometimes you do have to be like, nope, it's bedtime or whatever. And again, obviously this 25 year old doesn't need a bedtime, but like sometimes needing to give that boundary feedback while still displaying affection. So one example of this like permissive style of parenting, and again, not saying that our parents were like completely permissive. But they did like want to make us happy. And I think saying no was difficult sometimes. And I think my dad, especially like had a hard time saying no. when we would ask him to do something directly or like do something with us directly. And so there was this one time, I think Samantha was like 16 or whatever, and she'd just gotten her license and she asked dad if he wanted to meet her for lunch at Firehouse Subs, which like, I don't even know if that still exists. But I think we were like, man, this place was
1: delicious, okay?
0: (laughs) We were going through a sub phase. And so Samantha asked dad to meet her there. It was like five minutes away. And dad was like, oh, firehouse subs. Like, I don't really know if I want to go there. I think Samantha was like, apparently how I heard it was she was like shocked that dad had like said no and like shocked and offended. Like, I can't believe you leave me alone at firehouse subs or whatever. And then I I talked to dad about it recently and he was like, no, I did end up going. Like I wanted to say no, but I did end up going. But now that whatever dad like wants to say no or is having some discomfort with something that any of the kids want, we're like, you're having a firehouse subs moment. Oh my gosh, I did not remember that at all <laughs> that is amazing that's what happens thanks dad <laughs> shout out
1: <laughs> you're the
0: best when you move out of state i guess because i feel like me and zach have heard that like a lot
1: so i'm i'm so surprised that you don't remember that <sighs> oh, amazing yeah And we will just acknowledge that, once again, neither of us have kids nor knew anything about parenting. So if that does not resonate with you, actual parents, we apologize for offending your greatness. Don't hate us. (laughs) (laughs) I think one final component of this is gender dynamics as well. Yeah,
0: for sure. I mean... I majored in gender studies, so love to talk about some gender, but um, yeah, it is really hard to be a female manager and be, I think, giving any kind of feedback or saying anything that sounds somewhat negative or like it might not be warm because it's just so hard to walk that line at work as a woman.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just a classic, like, double-edged sword of, like, being overly nice, and, like, as soon as you say, like, one potentially critical thing, like, you're a bitch. Like, it just seems like it's such a fine tread, given, like, how women are socialized and how women are perceived, and I think that I coach a lot of women who are really nervous about this, and it's usually, like, women who are nice, a hundred percent of the time like they're super friendly super good at building relationships like get along with everyone and then maybe they need to delegate more or they need to challenge somebody or like take a meeting off their calendar or something and i'm like well what if you said that And they're like oh i'm so scared of like being perceived as mean or like being perceived as a manager who doesn't care who just like pushes work onto somebody else and i get it i mean i think that we haven't there's not a lot of great models of this in movies and society and our culture right um and at the same time like i do think like finding a way to challenge without coming across as persecuting someone is i think a a balance that's worth striking especially when you become a manager and as you get more and more work on your plate. Yeah, I definitely can
0: see how sometimes it would be like easier to take on a a monkey, it would feel like than to have that interpersonal struggle and have that reputation of not being warm or not caring, which of course is the standard is just infinitely higher if you're not a white man. So
1: yeah, totally. And then you're just like, oh, I'll just take on another monkey and another. And then you're like, well, it sucks that I'm here till 10 p.m. and like my employee left at three. Like,
0: I'm meh. just making these brownies for the potluck for fun. <laughs> R.I.P. to potlucks. Am I right?
1: <laughs> True. Well, sis, I think this wraps up our two-part series on Supervising Gen Z. Coming next, a six-part series. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Who knows? Soon we'll start doing the seasons. Um, I did want to say one other thing that, you know, I think is somewhat relevant in this conversation is that by the time you all hear this podcast, we will have turned 30. The big 3 L.
0: Oh, shit. Does that mean we're not releasing the podcast until after the weekend?
1: Okay. Well, okay. By the time we record you, we record the next one, we'll be 30. It's on Sunday. (laughs) Um, If you hear this on Sunday, February 28th, text us happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Closely related podcast at (laughs) gmail.com. How are you feeling about turning 30? You know... I feel a little sad
0: that it's COVID and I think initially I was like, maybe we're going to escape the COVID birthday, right? We like just (laughs) snuck it in before the pandemic. And I think having a big birthday um, does feel a bit sad. Um, But I think as far as being 30, I'm feeling good about it because As much as I've just been, like, hyping how I'm, like, I'm the young person at the workplace who makes typos. Like, I don't think I've truly ever had, like, the spirit of, like, a 22-year-old where I was, like, going out to clubs and staying up late and, like, (laughs) doing my 22-year-old shit, you know? Like, I think I was born to be 38. You know, like, <laughs> give me
1: my water and let me go to bed by ten p.m. And the the lifestyle of a grandma and the work skills of a twenty two year old really <laughs> <laughs> coming hot there. Oh, so but no, just kidding. Hannah's been, you know, as people have said to us, <laughs> like. As people said, Hannah has uh thrown herself on her own sword for the amusement of, of you all listeners. but seriously, Hannah is actually extremely good at everything and is an incredible therapist and has many other insane talents, so just shout out to Hanzo's there um you're welcome. I will say that like I I'm pretty excited to turn 30, which I think not everybody is, but it's it's directly to do with what I said at the start of this two-part series, which is that I have hated being perceived as young at work so much. And it feels like 30 is a really big difference from being 29 or just being in your 20s at all in terms of how much automatic respect you get from colleagues and I know that this is very specific, or it's, I know that being in my field certainly has a big part to play in this, like being a leadership coach. Like, it's hard to say that you're a leadership coach at 24. Like, it's just, it's a tough sell. <laughs> I tried to do it. I tried my best, but I'm happy that I'm 30. I'm just going to put it that way. Um, it is tough. So. I think it's interesting, though, just, like, on this debate, because if I tell anybody who's over 40 that, they're, like, pretty offended and upset, and they're like, oh, just wait, you're gonna, you won't, you can't, like, you'll be so happy the day that people will, like, card you and think that you're young, like, blah, 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 and I'm sure that that is true, and I'm sure that there are things I will miss about my, you know, youthful days, but... I think that nobody who's our age says that to me, right? They all get it. They're like, oh, yeah, it sucks to be perceived as young in the workplace. So I guess I'll just say to anybody who maybe is like Gen X boomer, like have some empathy for what it's like to be young at work and have people assume that you're not as talented because of your age. It is, it's hard when people are making assumptions about you based on something that's out of your control, right? Because I think that's what I felt. It was like, I feel powerless to age faster, right? That this is not something that I can do. Yeah, I think
0: sometimes I'm worried about getting older and getting gray hair and getting wrinkles and, I don't know, my body falling to bits. And, It's it is something that society says is very scary and uh, not good, right? It's like, oh my god, I'm turning thirty. Like, uh." Um, (laughs) ah. But whenever I have those feelings, I just remember how it felt to be twenty two and right out of college, and I felt in those clothes, sweating (laughs) underwears, your your internship. Uh, It was not good. Like, I was not happy. I felt really lost. I felt really just like there was the Cheesecake Factory menu of options, but I didn't know how to order. Like, it was just like, how do I get to the cheesecake? I'm in the waiting room, stuck with a little beeper. (laughs)
1: I think that's really true. I think I felt that way, too. It was like, I know kind of where I want to get, but how do I get there? And that was painful, for sure.
0: Yeah, it felt like there was just no path forward. And then I think in the social media era, it was like, well, this person got a real job. Why are you over here with your internship and your (laughs) cat maternity pants? (laughs)
1: Uh, I think that's really true.
0: Yeah. And then just so many regrets of like, okay, I want to take this nonprofit route. And then you see somebody else who did, you know, worked for some big corporation and then like had training or structure or whatever. And I'm like, I'm over here making a tweet in a Word document. It's about to be edited by someone else because I don't have the Twitter password. (laughs) I'm supposed to be the social media intern.
1: Oh, that's funny. I think there's like a whole other pod we should do about comparison, (laughs) right? Because I think that's such a part of this. So everyone write in about comparison. And also just write in in general. We definitely need some more letters. Blah. We have some good ones left, but we don't have anything to pair it with, potentially. So just keep writing in so we can theme some things together and keep making content for you. Yeah, no,
0: it's like we got the wine and cheese pairing, right? It's like, we might have the cheese, but we need the wine.
1: Yeah, we're just going to start putting together random letters next. Just <laughs> You'll just be like, what's the theme here? We like stuff. Um <laughs> One other kind of housekeeping announcement is that, sadly, we are going to move to every other week releases for the pod. Not that we don't love doing the pod. We do. But it does take some time and to bring you these hour-plus-long podcasts. And um, I just got, got put on some new exciting projects, which is cool, but just means I don't have as much time to be the editor. So look out for it every other weekend.
0: Yeah, I feel like whenever you, you know, start listening to a new pod, you're like, ah, yes, take me away from my pain and loneliness. And then they're like, actually, we're just so busy. We don't have time to keep taking you away from your pain and loneliness. And you're like, no. So for the two listeners out there who are really invested in us releasing every week, we know who you are and we love you and we're sorry.
1: Yeah, agreed. For the rest of you you can enjoy less harassment from us to listen to this podcast. (laughs) True.
0: Yes. For the 98% of you who might need some more me time. Enjoy (laughs) that me time.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, everyone, we will see you and Hannah. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Sam. Thanks. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> All right, bye, everybody.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for listening.
1: Yeah, and thank you for sharing your stories. And if you want, if you have a story and you want to write in, please do. You can write in at dot at gmail dot com. That is closely related podcast at gmail.com. And are you sitting there thinking, should I write in? I don't know, like maybe they have too many people write in already, or maybe my thing isn't cool enough. Yes, you write in now, we want you. Also, it's completely anonymous, uh,
0: but please put in email your pronouns so we know how to refer to you. And also, if you're listening, please subscribe, rate the podcast, or write a review on whatever platform you listen to. It really helps does.
1: Um, to learn more about the show, you can check us out at closelyrelatedpodcast.com, or if you want to learn more about coaching with me, you can go to quartercrisis.com. And if you want to learn about my work as a
0: therapist, you can go to Hanastromcounseling.com. As a reminder, this show does not constitute therapy or coaching, so if you need that please reach out to a coach or therapist in your area as soon as possible.
1: Yeah. And this podcast is a product of Pascal Strom Consulting LLC. Thanks again for listening.